Bienvenidos and welcome to episode 18 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the indescribable Jonah Birch. You can follow the show at Jacobin Sports. You can email us at jacobinsports at gmail.com. Jonah Birch, how are you doing on this fine summer's day? Well, I guess spring, but it feels like summer where I am. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty hot here. I, I feel like it's yeah. been an emotional week with what's happening in the world, mainly what's happening in the world and all of the Twitter fights I'm having about it. Also, mm -hmm. to a much lesser extent, less important, uh, it looks like Liverpool is going to make the top four after all. So that's a, uh, <sighs> yeah, I know you're, you're, you're very excited about that. Aren't I'm you? relieved. I am relieved to know that Liverpool will be there. It would be a uh, that's good. Yeah, it would be really tense on this podcast if Manchester City, <laughs> you know, won won the double, won won the Champions League and and the Premier League, and Liverpool was shut out. It, you know, I would be seething. You know, for months to be honest. So. Sure, and, I, and honestly, the more tournaments that Liverpool has to play in next year, the better for City. So. This is really a win-win for all of us here at the Jacobin Sports Show. I like that way of looking um, at it. Yeah, I do. I need to thank you, Jonah Birch. Uh, thanks to I think something you either posted or, or or commented on. I have just received my copy of Joe Sacco's Palestine um, in the mail, which I'm very excited to get into. Wonderful! Um, it's a wonderful. So. It's a wonderful graphic novel. He wrote several. He's a. He's actually from Malta. He's a great graphic right. novelist, and he wrote several about Palestine, Palestinians. This one came out right before the Oslo Accords. It focuses on his time in the West Bank after the first Intifada, which started in 1987. So this period from 87 to 93, kind of a transitional moment. And it really is beautiful. He goes through the history. It's it's lovely. Um, oh. Yeah. And he did a later one yeah. on, on Gaza in the late 90s. Very yeah, we're time. excited to get into it. Yeah. We are going to today get into the NBA play-in tournament. Maybe one baseball note at the end because, God forbid, baseball not go a week without embarrassing itself. But let's get right into the NBA play-in tournament stuff, Jonah. And let's begin with last night's, I'm sure, ratings bonanza in Los Angeles where the Lakers pulled out a last-minute victory over Golden State. LeBron James with the improbable fading away 35 foot three with about a minute left. Um, Golden State could not get a shot off at the end. Lakers advanced. They're the seventh seed. Golden State will have to play Memphis. Your thoughts, Jonah Birch? Uh, you know, watching this game, you know, as, as the night went on, the game started 10 p.m. Eastern time. And, and I just knew it was an impending sense of doom for a Lakers hater as the game went along that I – is both familiar and absolutely enraging. I mean, I, honestly, Golden State should have won that game. And, and this Lakers team, look, I, I don't want us to get death threats, but what a trash mediocrity of a team, let's say that, right? I mean, if LeBron James is clearly not fully healthy. Anthony Davis is not at the top of his game. And I just don't think this Lakers team is very good. I mean, by the way, all the Lakers people, all the Lakers fans who are crowing, about Andre Drummond, you know, I just want you to look me in the eye. Look me in the eye and admit you were wrong. That guy is just not a very good basketball player. Certainly not on this team. And to be honest, whatever the weaknesses of Golden State, Steph Curry, clearly the best player on the court. You know, I thought they had a lot going for them. But then during the third quarter, just turnover after turnover, sloppiness with the ball they end up with 20 turnovers and it absolutely murdered them i mean really uh you know i i thought it killed them and lebron i mean of course great shot at the end he was one for six from three it's not like he was going mano a mano with steph I, again he's clearly not fully healthy and i you know i just thought i thought golden state should have won that game yeah i was rooting for golden state um so i was very disappointed the turnovers killed me, and I'm not, I'm not I'm a Nick fan. I'm not even that invested. But to me, the worst way you can watch a team lose is when they cannot keep the other team off the offensive glass. Like I cannot stand when your your team needs like one stop and they just can't they can't get a defensive rebound. 
but turnovers is maybe the next worst way to watch a team lose. And like Golden State was just Draymond is whipping these passes that have no chance of getting through these windows. There's literally not even a window there. So yeah. it's just a wall yeah. that he's whipping the ball at. So frustrating to watch. So not to get too ahead of ourselves then, but I assume you would then expect Phoenix will be beating the Lakers. So I'll say this. I think a team that can shoot and can shoot the Lakers out of the building is – there's a real chance. Yeah, I think there's a very good chance the Lakers will will be knocked out here. Now, look, obviously there are some lineup things they could do. I mean, Caruso was their second, third best player, let's say, last night, right? I mean, they shouldn't mm-hmm. have been playing Schroeder. He was not effective in that game. So the Lakers have some matchup stuff that they can they can play with. But yeah, I, I think uh Phoenix absolutely can can beat them. They should have had to play Memphis. I mean, that's you know what I found so upsetting to get into the playoffs. We had this moment, this moment where it looked like the Lakers might not be in the playoffs at all. And I I was it was <laughs> you know, it would have been such a moment of joy for me. Like if the Celtics season is gonna be trash. Then at least the Lakers season could be could be complete trash, and I guess we still have that possibility. But yeah, I thought they were going to lose. It was incredible watching in the second half. I think every single time Steph Curry passed midcourt, there would be two people on him immediately, forcing him to give up. The I mean, it was literally twenty four minutes of like you were watching a game at the Y or a middle school, where one kid is just so much better than everyone else that like they won't even let him. Shoot, it was astonishing to watch. I mean, we've seen all kinds of defenses against Steph, but that really was just a reminder. LeBron, clearly not at his best. Curry was, he's sick, man. He's so good. He's so good to watch. Part of what was happening with those turnovers was that Draymond was desperately trying to get Steph the ball, right? I mean, he was the guy who could create Mm -hmm. for them. When it couldn't happen, particularly toward as the second half wore on, it felt like he didn't have enough confidence in enough, uh, in the rest of their perimeter players to make something happen. And so was mm-hmm. trying to force some of these back cuts, right? And, uh, you know, uh, trying to get some easy layups and the Lakers were guarding those better. I mean, this, I guess, is obvious, but it was a game where you really felt like, okay, if Clay Thompson is in there, obviously, what a, what a completely different game that is, right? You know? Mm-hmm. The Golden State offense looks totally different. By the way, I mean, you know, they have some players. Wiggins did not look terrible, obviously, right? Wiggins had some nice moments. He had a beautiful fadeaway over LeBron, finished a strong, I think, end one late in the game. Yeah, he was one of the only players who didn't look terrified of the moment. Some of the others did. Steph was trying to do a lot, but, like, nobody else on that team looked like they wanted to take a shot. Yep. Yeah, um, for sure. Speaking of speaking of Draymond, who we love for many reasons, but I saw somebody today, you know, posting all his defensive statistics and just raving about what an incredible performance he put out. And I know he does a lot of things, and he is a unique player. But I find it interesting that you know Ben Simmons is a guy who does everything but shoot, and he gets a lot of crap. He gets a lot of crap for that. He's young, you know, he's dynamic. He doesn't do that. He gets crapped on. Draymond Green, and I, I was thinking about this. So last week, my fiance got out of the hospital, and she was in the cancer center. She had a, a tumor removed. The day that she got out of the surgery, the first day that I could visit her, there's a writing contest that I do like every year. And this was the first year that they, they, they give you 24 hours. They give you three pieces to work with. You have 24 hours, write a story. And I love it. It's like the most fun I have all year. And it came and went. And I realized when I was leaving her um, during visiting hours that like I hadn't even thought about it. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to have time. I didn't do it. I didn't write a single word. And I think to myself sometimes like, can I even really call myself a fiction writer anymore if, if I don't write fiction? Like in that case, I understand why I was distracted. But like, I just don't write fiction anymore. Like, are you even a fiction writer if you don't write fiction? Draymond Green cannot shoot anymore. It's not like five years ago where like he was an erratic shooter, but he could hit you know big threes, but he was clearly like not a first just kind of he cannot shoot. He had a wide open, he had multiple, I mean, 
there were sequences where there was no defender within eight feet of him, and he did not want to shoot. I mean, what do you make of Draymond Green? Well, what happened? I mean, he used to be able to shoot a little bit. He used right? to be able to shoot. I, yeah. Honestly, I at this point, I get the impression he's so all up in his head, you know, yeah. that, that uh, whatever, it's a mental thing more than anything. I mean, either that or he literally hasn't practiced shooting three-pointers in (laughs) years and years. I wondered. I thought about that. Like, he's doing so many other things. Maybe he he just doesn't have time to shoot. The the thing that makes Draymond different than Ben Simmons, and and Ben Simmons is a a player with a lot of talents, and obviously, that Draymond, his ability to play off of Steph is so unique. I mean, the way they complement each other Right. And and the way in which Draymond is setting stuff up, they have a beautiful basketball relationship in a way that it's just not true of Ben Simmons and, you know, certainly not Embiid or anyone on the Sixers. And there's a there's a symbiosis there that is very difficult to guard as he's trying to figure out how to get Steph space. Right. You know, and get him the ball in a position where he can get a shot off. And and that that's a. um you know, there, there's something there's something lovely there. Now, the flip side is Draymond has some real liabilities. I mean, I thought he might get kicked out of that game last night. I, I don't know if you were thinking that while watching it, but uh, I think he got attacked. I think you always think that when you watch Draymond. Right, right. Like, you're just like, Draymond, you're at an 11 right now. You need to be at like a six, right? Just take yeah. it down five. But yeah, I mean, and then, I, I don't know. Uh, does Ben Simmons have that level of defensive versatility? I mean, Draymond's ability to guard bigs and then also switch, I guess Ben Simmons does, right? I mean, he's 6'9 as well, maybe 6'8, something like that. Uh, ben Simmons and, is about 6'10 and he guards, uh, well, he guards all the positions. He right. guards one through five legit. Yeah, so maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, it's true that we, maybe what you're saying actually is we should give Ben Simmons more credit for his defensive versatility. I feel um, like if Ben Simmons had played five or six years with Steph Curry, Right. He's a smart enough player that they would have developed a similar kind of relationship in some way. Now, do you think what do you think the Lakers are going anywhere in these playoffs? Yeah, I would if gun in my head, I would still pick them over Phoenix. Because wow. I and I imagine all the Suns fans are terrified. Like this is that like I want that matchup because I want to beat them, but they're the worst team you could possibly lose to. And I just think they escape, they get a couple of days off now. Not a lot, and I know that LeBron is banged up, and I'm not. It's not at all that I'm that impressed by Wesley Matthews or uh, Caruso or Kyle Kuzma or any of that crew. It's really that it's hard for me to imagine, for example, Davis playing much worse than he did last night, and he had some big games late in the season that seem to suggest maybe he's finding his way. I just feel like playoff LeBron is such a specific cheat code, where every single series, like. When they play the Suns, I mean, is is Mikhail Bridges going to shut down LeBron James? I don't think so. Yep. If they get past Phoenix, they would probably play Denver, who they already beat last year. They're not afraid of the Clippers. They're not afraid of the Jazz. I, I don't see a team in the West that the Lakers are going to look at and say, oh, shit, we got to play them. And I think there's a lot of teams that if they got the Lakers, even in this state, would be like, oh, shit. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, they also – Again, they have some things they can do up front. They still have some some versatility, right? I mean, Harrell, who was nothing in this game, but he gives you some matchup options. I don't know. Is Marcus Gasol just wedded to the bench now? Is that, you know, is that? He plays. He's very matchup specific. If they play, so when they play Phoenix, I'm sure he'll play some because they'll want to let him bang with Aiden a little bit and also pull him out on the perimeter with Gasol's shooting. If they play Utah, I imagine that he might get some minutes. Like, he's very matchup specific. But they're big. They play defense. They have guys capable. Like, Schroeder can have, you know, a 20-point game. For sure. It it really is a question of whether LeBron is fully healthy. And if he's healthy, if, you know, if he's, if he, if he looks the way he did in the first half last night, they're fucked, right? I mean, it's, it's Mm -hmm. over. They're really screwed. They're in big trouble. Uh. You know, I, I think he was he and were he and Wesley Matthews the only people who had positive who were positive plus minuses like, like 
it, it was something ridiculous. Like most of the team was negative except for, uh, I, I think LeBron was a plus 13 and I, I haven't, I have the box score somewhere here. Uh, and Wesley Matthews was a plus 17. When you're relying on Wesley Matthews like that, probably <laughs> it's not a great sign. Yeah. Speaking of ominous signs, the Boston Celtics met the Washington Wizards in their Eastern Conference playing game. Jonah, I'm sure you have one or two thoughts about the Celtics' victory over the Wizards that clinched the seventh seed for them and mean they'll be playing Brooklyn in the first round. What did you think of what you saw on Tuesday night? Whatever, man. I, you know. <laughs> like, I don't care. I really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I mean, Jason Tatum is a great basketball player, so that's good. Um, and that that's helpful. I, I think um, Bradley Beal obviously was not 100%. Uh, and Westbrook did not totally look like himself. But, yeah, so we can beat the Wizards by 20 points. We should beat the Wizards by 20 points. Whether it's going to mean anything going into this next series, probably not. You know, so I'm trying not to get my my hopes up at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I thought Tatum was the best player on the court by far. You know, and that was the kind of the, the, main, the main takeaway of that game. You may be familiar with the old story of um... – when God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Abraham feels, you know, very badly for the Sodomites. And he basically starts negotiating with God. He's like, well, if there's 50 good people, will you spare the city? And God says, if there's 50, yes. And Abraham keeps hangling him down. He's like, well, if there's 20, will you spare the city? And God says, fine, if there's 20, I'll spare the city. And Abraham just keeps taking him down, keeps taking him down. And God finally basically yells at him and is like, I think it's either five or ten ends up being the last number. And Abraham gratefully walks away. I thought of this when I thought of this question for you, Jonah Birch. So I don't think you expect the Celtics to beat the Nets, especially since the Nets have all three of their big three. How many big three have to be down for you to think the Celtics would have a chance in this series? If you can handle from a big three to a big – let's say it's just Durant and Kyrie. Can the Celtics win? If if Jeff Green and Joe Harris are playing, we're gonna lose. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, you know, they are gonna torch <laughs> us. I, I I see where this yeah. goes. Uh, uh-huh. it, it, it's not even about James Harden or Kyrie or uh, actually, to be honest, I think that coming back to Boston with fans in the stands will get in, in Kyrie's head. I, I think that's probably true, to be honest. Uh yeah. But um, I, you know, it's the the Nets, the way they're playing, their role players scare me as much as as anything, mm-hmm. as anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think we have a shot in this series. I'd like to think that we could, the Celtics could win a couple of games. I think if Kemba and Tatum are hot together, that's a real possibility. You know, and if Marcus Smart, I mean, who knows? You're you're there's always the chance of a random Marcus Smart game where he shoots whatever, you know, well, he starts off six for seven from three and he ends up six for 11. And I say that mm-hmm. with deep love, right. You know, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but they're, they're gonna, there's so many matchup problems there. You know, I, I just don't think it's realistic now. Right. If two of the big three go down for the Nets, which who knows when that'll happen, maybe it would change the dynamic. Maybe it would. I don't really think so, but, you know, but that's a possibility for sure. Let's say Harden and Durant get double parked somewhere in Brooklyn. They can't make it to any of the games. It's just Kyrie. If the Celtics beat the Kyrie-led Nets, would the season be satisfying to you? Yes, of course. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, if, if everyone is out, uh, you know, on Brooklyn and they have to, they have to bring, Whatever you know, Deron- Derek Coleman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. If if uh, Kenny Anderson, you know, and no, no, actually, Kenny Anderson. It's Sam Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, you got it. I, I was gonna make a joke about the. And this is it's actually not funny. The ghost of Dra- Drazen Petrovic, but that is not you know. That's inappropriate. <laughs> Kenny Anderson, by the way, big Celtics guy. Big Celtics guy. Yeah. 
You follow him on Twitter, loves the Celtics still, made that playoff run in 2002 where they lost in six games to the uh, Jason Kidd-led Nets. I, I I just don't see a scenario in which the Celtics make it out of the series, but who knows? I mean, the thing about this year that's that's been so crazy is it, it feels very unpredictable. And how many games have has the full net squad played together? Even five, six, seven, something yeah, tiny like, like a, that, right? Something like eight, yeah, some small handful. You know, maybe Brad Stevens has something up his sleeve. I mean, the other thing that is really going to hurt the Celtics is that it's not just Jalen who's out. But uh, Robert Williams re-injured his toe. He's been dealing with turf toe. Turf toe, by the way, d- does that sound like a? It, it sounds like an understatement of an injury, doesn't it? Like it does. Like it, it does. doesn't it sound that serious, but actually, it is. I think a, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a legit it's a bad thing. You don't want turf toe. No, no turf toe, no good. Uh, and. Uh, you know, and and their third string center now that Daniel Tice is gone, Luke Cornett. He doesn't have Cornett, yeah. classic Nick. He was he had some he had some quality bench seasons. He did. He's not um. Yes, he, did. he he lacks Robert Williams' uh, athleticism, is what I would say. <laughs> he lacks your athleticism. <laughs> he is not an athletic fellow. That's true. Well, you know, you you haven't seen me. I could jump out of the gym, my friend. Uh, <laughs> That's true. If you can get into the gym, Luke Cornett is behind you. <laughs> yeah, and, and so uh, you know, uh, Rob Williams, who we're no longer calling Time Lord, uh, is uh, he he adds a lot to the team, not just yeah. in terms of his ability. I mean, he's a, as a finisher, he's one of the best lob finishers in the league. He obviously is an excellent rim protector. He also is a very good passer you know, underrated passer. And as someone who can, you know, be part of the offense from the top of the key, uh, Luke Cornette just obviously cannot, you know, recreate that. So both of those yeah. injuries obviously are, are really going to hurt this team and probably make this less of a competitive series than it otherwise would be. So NBA history has been peppered with famous one-on-one matchups. There was Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. There was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. For a few years, there was LeBron and Steph. But in the world of Jonah Birch, these all pale before what you get when Russell Westbrook and Marcus Smart collide. The consummate pros and the people that Jonah Birch wants to live his life like. So I want to know, what was it like for you, Jonah, to see your two cosmic heroes battling each other on the same court? Was it hard for you to watch? Were you just flagrantly anti-Russ because this was Boston Garden, damn it? Yeah, yeah. By the way, at some point, the crowd started a, a fuck you, Russ chant or, a, a, yes. like, you know, fuck you, Westbrook, which I thought was a little much. It was a little inappropriate, you know. That's, yes, uh, a little bit. <laughs> it's a little extreme. And then, was there any rhyme or reason? Or No, it's just a Boston is a, an angry, hate-filled city, you know? Um <laughs> It's true. So, uh, you know, I, I felt like Russ really let us down in this matchup. He was not uh, he was not there. Now, the the bigger concern coming out of this game, did you watch the, the broadcast? Were you watching this game? I did. Did you? So Marv Albert, who is like 162 years old, apparently, you know. Legendary Marv Albert. Yeah, yeah. He, if I'm not mistaken, he was calling – uh, the the finals in the 1920s when the NBA began or whatever, you know. I'm sure I'm getting my history wrong there. Uh, <laughs> he's been around a long time. He kept he confusing Aaron Neesmith, number 26 for your Boston Celtics, with Marcus Smart, number 36 for your 36. Boston Celtics. So every time Aaron Neesmith had the ball, Marv Albert was calling him smart which got very confusing because there were several moments at which Marcus Smart passed Aaron Neesmith the ball. And so I don't, <laughs> whatever was happening in Marv Albert's brain, like I, oh, yeah. I'm shocked that he survived it. And you would think that there would be a producer for TNT who would say, Marv, difficult, I know, but Aaron Neesmith and Marcus Smart, different players, you know? Yeah. I feel like Marv's not – I wonder if that's a, a 
a shortcoming of prestige. Like if like nobody tells Marv Albert what to do, um, this happens with authors. It happened with uh, Murakami's last book. Clear, really felt like you did not need to submit this to an editor. Like this felt like a draft that like the author really really loves, and I put it out there. And like later on, you realize why it's good to have an editor. I feel like Marv probably doesn't have an editor, and he probably needs one at this point. Um, he's getting a lot of a lot of people are ready to kick Marv Albert out the door, and I get it. Um, he's going to have a different meaning to anyone who grew up, you know, hearing him as the voice of your team or the voice of the league. Frankly, I mean, he's he has been doing this now for almost sixty years. Um, now, are, Marv are we allowed to talk ups. about why Marv got demoted from the Knicks to the Nets? The famous backbiting, wasn't he? There was the the process. that was no two different two different things. No, 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 no. Oh, so Marv's sexual assault. I can't remember what exactly. I don't remember exactly what the legal conclusion was. I feel like he was not convicted, but maybe he paid her. I can't remember. But yeah, Marv Albert was charged um, in a sexual assault um, trial with a woman. There was there were allegations of cross-dressing. There were allegations of, which of is, biting. Which and, is and, not a crime. I mean, cross-dressing is not a crime. Biting someone, crime you've, use. biting the sex worker that you paid for sex without her consent, that is a crime. Yes? That is a crime. Yes. Yeah. Um, and... Their cross-dressing used to be a crime. Thankfully, Marv did That's this true. after. That was a fact. Um, but in any event, he was... Um, I'm pretty sure he paid a settlement, but he was then um, demoted for a while from national and local um, broadcasts. He eventually returned um, to both. But he lost the Knicks job around 03 because um, James Dolan felt that Marv on the air was too critical of the Knicks and not enough of a rah-rah kind of cheerleader, and uh, basically gave Marv notes, and Marv was not interested in those notes, and so Dolan canned Marv Albert, and then he went to the Nets, like, right afterwards. Do we feel like, uh, I mean, this is an interesting question. Is Mike Breen an apologist, would you say? Because Dolan, didn't Dolan just show up at his, uh, at his uh, Hall of Fame uh, Induction? Mike Breen's interesting, dude. Yeah, yeah. Dolan was there, and some other people from the front office. Mike Breen is is if you just listen to Mike Breen as a basketball announcer, he is the most painfully diplomatic. He, we love him; like he's a great announcer, but he is extremely like to the point of of like Protestant restraint. Just like so diplomatic, like won't. But Mike Green started out, um, I think, in media, in in, main, in well-known media, in large market media. He was the update guy on the Don Imus show and um, on the radio show. And Mike Green was not quite as G-rated in that context as he basically is like now. So it's an incredible rise into the position he's in. I wonder what my – I really wonder like how – you wonder about all these people's – chasm between what they present and who they are obviously that doesn't apply to jonah and i but to anyone else hey. you ever see or hear um you wonder about that and fair to wonder how wide mike green's range is because he seems extremely like like he's out of donna reed or something but i know he's not i know he's not so first of all i i am an open book on this podcast and in every facet of my life <laughs> Whatever I'm thinking, you know, but I had no idea. I mean, Don Imus, and I, I want to be G-rated here. What a piece of shit. I mean, you know, Don Imus yeah. was not a good guy. I had no idea that that's where Mike Breen, I mean, you know, whatever. We all got to eat. I get it. Uh, yeah. But that is not his persona, obviously, for no. the Knicks. No. He, he was not, even at the low points of the franchise, going to get notes from the owner for being too critical. That was not going to happen, mm -hmm. right? You know. Mm -hmm. And it was a grotesque appeal. I mean, anyone who watched the Knicks when they were good, when they were good, the announcers were objective and critical. And one reason that Marv has always been praised is that Marv's not a homer. If right. Marv Albert's calling a game at Madison Square Garden and random player X on the other team 
goes off on a scoring burst, Marv Albert sounds excited as if someone on the Knicks is doing it. And that's what that's, I think, appreciated by that market specifically is not John Sterling aside, like really not interested in homers. But Marv Albert was not on the air ripping the Knicks apart. Just if you've seen the team before and after that, yep. like Mike Breen clearly understands here are some things that just this is the third rail. Like you're not touching this. And he doesn't. Maybe Marv had his power already, and Breen's has really come about during his time as post-Marv, um, replacing him on the local and national level. So maybe things will change as Breen gets older. But he seems very comfortable in that lane. I mean, like he's not looking to ruffle anything. It's it's complicated too because you know the Breen Van Gundy Mark Jackson trio, and there are lots of things to be critical as a national trio to be critical of Van Gundy and Jackson about in particular for the Knicks broadcasts. No one is ever going to be critical of Clyde Frazier, right? You know, you can't possibly, and he's like Tommy Heinsohn, you know, it, it's not just yep. not just for Knicks fans. You're, you're not going to say anything bad about, about Clyde Frazier, but as a national trio, they're so head and shoulders above anyone else who's doing games. They're more interesting. They're, you know, they're uh, funny. Yeah, they're funny. They they have they have things to say. They they when they're describing the game, they get the players right. They don't confuse, you know, one player for another <laughs> for the most part. And Breen is the he's the conductor of that orchestra. To be honest, a little bit, he's what people pretend Ernie Johnson is on the TNT studio show. And he isn't, uh-huh. but but Breen really is that. And and so you know I like I look I would prefer to listen to him call a game than any other national announcer. Um, Agreed, totally. He does have you're totally right. This waspish, a little anodyne, you know mm-hmm. that for example is the antithesis of Marv Albert at his peak, right in the mm-hmm. in the nineties, who felt very, mm-hmm. you know, whatever New York, and I don't mm-hmm. even uh, that's not even. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's rip through a few of the other play-in games um, and matchups that are coming. I don't know if you watched any of Memphis and the Spurs. It was good God. And, like, they've, they've heard this charge for years, and I haven't always thought that it's fair, but it applies in 2021. The Spurs are so boring. It's the end of the game. It's a close game. You know, season may be on the line. And, and... You have to work with what you have. Like, this isn't an indictment of their team. Just as an outsider, watching Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan in 2021 taking all the big shots, like, to me was very sad. Like, sad in the sense that, like, they're probably not going to make all those shots. And you don't have, apparently, people young enough that you're confident enough in to give those moments to. I like DeRozan. I like it. But it was so dull watching that team play. Yeah, Um, that's true. And... Shout out to the Lithuanian Babe Ruth, uh, Giannis Valanciunas, yes. with yet another 2020. He puts those up, man. This guy is a, a beast. He puts up those numbers. Charlotte and Indiana, classic 2021 Pacers. Every time you think that they're done, they win. And every time you have any faith in them, they, they lose. I don't know if you watched either one of those games, Jonah. They were not exciting. Uh, I mean, Memphis and the Spurs came down pretty late, but just San Antonio just stylistically is not its not that exciting, man. Well, so first of all, would you say that the Pacers are the Everton of the NBA? that That's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, that's fair. That's not a bad one. It's a constant bad battle all, actually. to be the eighth best team yeah. in the NBA. They're yeah. right there every single year, at least the right. eighth best team in the eighth conference. Sometimes, you know, they're competing for uh, whenever they have know, a great player, they're going to lose him to like whoever, you know, yeah, you know, in Oklahoma city, they're going to lose cases. it to someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Um, they are very much like Everton. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking watching them. And, you know, whatever, like, I, you know, I was rooting for them, did not, was worried about the Celtics losing and playing the the Hornets in the second play-in game with all those ex-Celtics. By the way, Terry Rozier, you know, 
the carriage turned back into a pumpkin. You know? <laughs> and uh, the idea that he is, a you know, a, some superstar and Danny Ainge just didn't see it. And, and that Michael Jordan fleeced the Celtics on this Kemba Walker for Terry Rozier exchange. Wrong, wrong. <laughs> turned out, you know, it, it felt, it felt to us like those of us from Boston, like game seven, the Eastern conference finals against the Cavs a couple of years ago, all over, right. That year that Kyrie was on the team, mm-hmm. but was out and, you know, and Hayward, uh, you know, was out for the season and they got to game seven and Terry Rozier had been good all, all playoffs and then just fell mm-hmm. apart in uh, I mean, he just couldn't hit a shot, you know? So it felt a lot like that. And then Memphis, San Antonio, Look, who cares? I, I got to be honest. It's the worst thing about these playing. Like, it was I, pretty it, bad. It was pretty bad. It was really boring. And I thought yeah. it was going to be better. You know, look, it's nice to see Dylan Brooks go off. And uh, as you say, you know, the, the Valanchunas, Jakob Pertl, Lithuania. The Lithuania versus Austria feels like a classic World War II European battle, you know. But uh, it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. But uh, but not who. Yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah, not not two hours of interesting. You felt like the whoever won is just gonna go and and get blown out by the Warriors anyway, right? Yeah, I I I'm not that excited about Washington and Indiana because I don't think either one of them is doing anything. Yeah. At least in the case of Golden State, I think they can they can scare Utah. But, yeah, I mean, you can see where these play-in games can be exciting, but you can also see already, like, there's going to be some long, sad years of some crappy teams playing games that, like, the national audience is supposed to pretend they have some investment in and, like, they're not going to. I mean, literally, also, yeah, last night was, was the reason to have the play-in games. The Lakers were. Yes. Yeah. But those two teams bitched about it the whole way leading up to it. Like, <laughs> like they finally had the right the right thing for it, and they're still complaining about it. Um, would like to point out, the Knicks are now officially back. I was waiting for when we would actually have official notification. It's now formal because Atlanta's Nate McMillan has been fined before the series even begins. Fined twenty five thousand. Why? For complaining that the NBA and its officials are biased in favor of the New York Knicks, and that now that the Knicks are back in the playoffs, they will be getting that sweet, sweet whistle that Knicks fans know they always get because the NBA needs to have the Knicks be competitive. So as Amari Stoudemire said 11 years ago, Jonah, the Knicks are back. Um, let me ask you this. I, here, This is a genuine question. As a someone who lives in New York right now, Loves New York, has lived in New York most of my adult life, but fucking hates the. I hate, you know, I hate the Knicks. I'll be honest. I I don't hate them the way I hate the Yankees or the Jets or, but you know, there's no love there. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah. How worried should I be? Like, are they going to make a deep playoff run? Are they even going to get past the Hawks? I'm going to tell you right now what's going to happen. Yeah, go ahead. They're going to beat the Hawks in surprisingly impressive fashion. Wow. They're going to push the 76ers to a brutal six games in the second round. Some current star player that we don't know is disgruntled is going to realize, wait a minute, I am disgruntled. And this summer, that star is going to say, the only cure for my gruntledness is being traded to one of the highest... Tax rates in the country, please, oh please, sir, trade me to the New York Knicks, and next year we will be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Wow! How's that for what's going to happen, Jonah? Do How's we... that? <laughs> Do we have any predictions about who this pro-taxation, pro-welfare state superstar is? Yes, it is. It is super progressive NBA star Jalen Brown. Okay, kiss my ass. Kiss my ass, honestly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) how dare you? (laughs) There there has been there has been a long, and we like our our narratives to be long and drawn out, a long idea that when Steph ever decides 
I know. The Golden State run is done. He's coming to New York. So not, I'm not saying you not heard it here first. I'm yeah. just saying when you hear it, remember that you heard it here first. Everyone tuning in, you heard it here first. Steph Curry, New York Knicks, champions 2023. I'll give the league one more year. I, now, when, when next year you've added the missing piece that is DeMar DeRozan, how are you <laughs> going to feel about that? You know? <laughs> Uh, uh, you will. <laughs> you will never. You will never see me again if that happens. You will never see me. Do you actually? No do you, just putting on your objective NBA analyst hat. You think the Knicks yes. are going to beat the Hawks? I think it's going to be close. Um, I think they will because I think that I think what the Knicks are good at translates better to the playoffs, which is officiated differently than what Atlanta does. I think the I think Trey Young is going to encounter what James Harden often has, and even Chris Paul, which is that whistle that you get for a lot of stuff in the regular season. You're not going to get as much in the playoffs. Julius Randle has destroyed. I think it's going to be close because I think the Hawks are better right now than any Hawk team the Knicks saw during the season. Um, I ju- I just think the Knicks. Um, I, I I am not I am not a Knicks Pollyanna kind of person. Like I I don't I don't say positive things for them easily. I really do believe they're going to win. I think they're tougher. And I just think that they have, I think they, I think their strengths will translate better to a seven game series than Atlantis. Yeah, I could totally see that. And I, you know, this Knicks team, they play good defense. They're obviously very well coached. They, they know who they are and that that's going to be a big advantage in the playoffs, right? There's going to be a lot resting on Julius Randle, a lot for this team, yep. you know, and as a playmaker, as an offensive force, but you know, it looks like he wants that. He wants that pressure on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got the week off. I, I think it'll be a good series. I wouldn't be shocked if Atlanta wins. I just think the Knicks probably have a little more um, than Atlanta does. Okay. Let me ask you just a, a couple of questions. So if the Jazz get Donovan Mitchell back, do you think at this point they can compete for for the Western Conference title? Compete, yes, but win it, no. What about the Clippers? Are the Clippers surreal or are they fakers? Can I get some some judgment on that? I think they can win it, but I think it's matchup specific. I think they're I don't think they can beat the Lakers. And Portland, Portland is there anything there? Yeah, and the reason there is is because when Denver made the Aaron Gordon trade, they they sent away Gary Harris, who's their best defensive guard. I think going into a series with Portland, you would already be if you had Harris and Jamal Murray, you're at best at best still a push with Lillard and McCollum and with Harris being traded and Murray out for the season, guards can be up and down, but I I I think Portland has a legitimate chance because I think with Nurkic back, especially, it gives their front court a whole different look. It gives them a body that can do a, a more than respectable job against Jokic. And you've got now two guards where somebody on Denver is going to be guarding one of those two who's not Gary Harris level as a defender. That could be a problem. So for that reason, I think Portland, I think Denver's a better team, but I think Portland could be a real problem for them. All, all good, good answers. Thank you. Um, Jonah, I was just alerted to this today. Um, a sports betting site, who I will not name because I'm not that easy, used Twitter data in order to extrapolate the most hated NBA teams in the United States state by state. Can you guess, Jonah, what team is hated in the most states in this geographic notion that we call a country? Oh my God, is, is it the Celtics? The Celtics are tied for third. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, it's got to be the Lakers, number one. The Lakers are second. Okay. The Celtics what? are tied for third with the 76ers. The Lakers are second. Who could be hated the most? Wow. Okay, wow. The most hated team. In 25 it- states, exactly half the country Hates this team the most. This is an 
uh, an incredible uh, basketball question. Uh, half the country hates this team the most. Is it the Miami Heat? No. Okay. Okay. Not. Let me get. Is it the new uh, that I was going to say New Jersey Nets, Brooklyn Nets? It is the it is your Brooklyn Nets. Makes the, the most, most hated, yeah. the most hated team in America. Good job, Nets. Yeah. Um, yes, they were the only states. Boston was most hated in Pennsylvania, obviously where the Sixers are. Makes sense. And New Jersey. Philly is the most hated in New York and Massachusetts. There you go. And then it's the Lakers in a lot of the country, but number your most hated team. The Brooklyn Nets. Listen, let me let me say something because now I feel like progressive NBA fans have decided, and I appreciate Kyrie vaguely saying something about Palestine. I, I really do. I think it matters, and he's he's been on. You know, I don't know if people know this. He's been on the calls, these organizing calls for this very progressive Palestinian woman running for DA in, in Manhattan, right, Tabuchi, and. Uh, you know, and he supported, obviously, the protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline. But now it, to be a progressive kind of left-wing NBA fan on Twitter means you need to stand up for the Nets. And damn it, fuck the Nets. I mean, I, I have no time for... Listen, I, I know there are six actual Nets fans in this in this country, and I know them all. <laughs> I mean, I had a, a you know a professor who was a Nets season ticket holder going back for years and years into New Jersey, and then they moved to Brooklyn, and I would go to games, and literally I would go to Nets Celtics regular season games, and people would show up at halftime, and I would look I would look at them, they'd be they would come in, you know, and sit next to me, and I would go, why why would you even come to this game right to watch for the second half? Now there were some people. I don't know. Have you ever been to a Nets game? I have not. So there was a guy, I don't know if he's still around, Mr. Whammy. Mr. Whammy used to go. His thing was to like heckle the opposing person taking uh, team's free throw shooter. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a Nets fan legend. But the whole thing is ridiculous. The Barclays Center is a shitty place to watch a basketball game. It just is. Like, I, you know. And if you're from New York and you're not a Knicks fan, I, I don't have any respect for you. I, I, I'll just be honest. Like, it, it, it seems such a front-running. There's such a lack of loyalty. There's no depth there. You are not a fan of the, of the New Jersey Nets in the 1990s and the early 2000s. And now you're 35 years old and you're walking around with Nets gear. I, there's, I, I have a fundamental lack of respect. Which meant that when de Blasio, I don't know if you saw this, did oh, his did. press conference rocking the full Nets outfit. Looking very authentic. Yeah. There was something profound there about, uh, you know. Now, am I being too harsh? Did you see Andrew Yang shooting hoops the other day? Yeah, he was at he was at uh, West Forth, right? The West Forth Street Playground. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Yang looks like he, this was literally the first time in his life he ever saw a basketball. Like, someone threw him a bounce pass, and he almost, like, he knocked it up into his face. I bring it up only to say that I don't think that de Blasio is any less inauthentic than Yang showing up just to shoot hoops at West Forth, like, like we all do, and looking like he's never taken a shot in his life. It was... I hate that shit. I hate that shit. It really is... Uh... It, you know, the, uh, pandering by politicians, I can accept, but basketball pandering, no, 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 my that. friend. You know, not have that. There, yeah. there's only space for honesty and authenticity in this game. At, uh, you know, uh, whatever. We we should do an episode on the mayoral race uh, in New York City. There's a big, you know, it's heating up. Right. Based on on, we'll we'll send the candidates questions about their fandom. And we'll see who they actually, you know, who responds. Now, the one New York City politician who seems like a genuine NBA fan, Mr. Jamal Bowman, who is the representative of my of this neighborhood, uh, of where I am in Riverdale, uh, and who clearly is a big Knicks guy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but but I respect him. 
Speaking of people that we don't agree with, but in this case do not respect, and I think this will probably be the note we end the show on, Jonah, I know that you are aware of the latest Tony La Russa-ism in baseball. Would you like to reflect on La Russa's latest, I don't even know what to call it, um, I really don't know what to call it. In, in case you're not aware, uh, Tony La Russa now is the manager of the Chicago White Sox, and a couple nights ago, they were blowing out the Minnesota Twins, I think it was 15-4, to and... The twins. I mean, the game was such a blowout that um, I think Rocco Baldelli is the Twins manager. He yep. brought in a position player, which which teams will do to save their bullpen arms. They'll bring in just anybody to just throw the ball over the plate and and try to save the the bullpen. But this particular player who came in was not a good pitcher. Fell it's behind. Yeah. Uh, fell behind three and zero to. I'm not sure. I can't remember the name of the hitter. Yeah, um, Mar- Mercedes. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Mercedes. Fell behind three and zero lofted just a ridiculous pitch up there, and the hitter creamed it. He had a home run. Uh, he crushed it. And his own manager, Tony La Russa, criticized him after the game for swinging at the pitch. The Twins, I think it was that same night, threw behind a White Sox hitter who came up later, clearly to show their displeasure with, you know, anytime a person of color in baseball touches an unwritten rule, there's basically a fight that's about to happen. And La Russa not only doesn't defend his player, but actually basically seems to support. Like, yeah, you, I'm, he said he was fine with what the Twins did. He was fine with the other team throwing at his team because he doesn't think his hitter should swing 3-0. and I have thoughts, but Jonah, I know you have feelings. And on the Jacobin Sports Show, feelings come first. What would you like to say about this? So many feelings. <laughs> I, I, I just um, – so, look, obviously – there is a divide between the old school people who uh, in baseball who are obsessed with these quote unquote unwritten rules, which are utterly ridiculous and people who are now pushing back against that. But the thing is that I, I, I just, the idea of Tony Larusa lecturing some kid, he's 28 years old, but on his team for, I don't even know, like classlessness. He called them clueless is what he called them for hitting a home run, doing his job in a competitive major league baseball game. And, uh, you know, so apparently that's a violation of baseball's unwritten rules, but being a drunk driving racist like Tony La Russa isn't because he keeps getting jobs. Even when he gets arrested for, I, just shut Wasn't up. Wasn't he arrested Larusa. right after he got hired? Did he get the DWI like right after they hired him? Literally right after he got hired, just yeah. before the season started, he gets arrested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for his first DUI. Well, it's, it's either his second or maybe even I think it's his second. I, who is this guy? You know what? What does he have on these owners? Uh, and now, so now there's a lot of discussion. Is his clubhouse mm-hmm. in revolt against him? I hope it is. I mean, I, I think hope so. You know, some of his players basically came out and said, if if you don't want the other team to hit a home run off of your first baseman who's pitching, yep. bring in an actual pitcher. Yep. Bring in a real pitcher, and this won't be an issue. Yeah. But what, a, what an absurd, absurd controversy, right? So yeah. the, the other thing I found ridiculous about this is if Mercedes had taken that strike, so it was a 3-0 pitch, but he had hit a home run on the next pitch, that would be okay. That's fine, right? Yeah, and this 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 is always an asinine and unique application of rules. The I wrote a piece about this for Jacobin last year. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. did the same thing in a game a year ago in Texas. He plays for San Diego. His team was up by a lot of runs. Uh, the other pitcher fell behind in the count, and Tatis hit a grand slam. And all the reaction from 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 the old guard of baseball was to blame Tatis for having success. I didn't play Major League Baseball at all, but, like, I've played at multiple levels. My father was scouted. He played, like, even higher. It is absolute bullshit to pretend that you can't swing 3-0. and And it's especially bullshit to pretend that when you are at the highest professional level going against other professionals... I, this used to happen with stolen bases. There would always be in baseball this conflict where if you're up too many runs and you steal the base, it would start a fight, always. Cause like, and I never understood it on the grounds of, like, okay, but... They're pros against pros. And, like, you're not – 
the other team isn't giving up. If if the team that's losing concedes, okay, when we come up to hit, we're just going to hold a bat on our shoulders. The game is over. Fine. But they don't do that. They're not stopping. So you don't have to stop either. And and this may have come up regardless of who did it, but and this is also something we could do a whole episode about. Baseball has a real, real long racist history of sure. depending who does something, even the terminology is different. Where Pedro Martinez has dark skin, if he consciously throws up and in, he's a headhunter. If Roger Clemens, who has white skin, does exactly the same thing, he is playing quote unquote good old fashioned country hardball. Baseball has a long history of this shit and seeing it happen, you know, again, and, and La Russa is lucky that the White Sox have gotten off to the good start that they have, because I think that protects him right now from like a, a revolt um, by the players, but there's no way, you know. Right, so they, they've been excellent and he has a very talented team, right? He does. And look, the, the guy, first of all, he knows how to pick his teams. I mean, he was on those A's teams in the late, you know, he was the manager of those A's teams, the late 80s and the early 90s, when they had were one of the best teams in baseball. And they had how many superstars? I mean, Maguire, Conseco, Dave Stewart, yada, 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 right? All that, uh, Walt Weiss, Carney Lansford. They, they were a very talented team, right? Uh, Ricky Henderson, obviously. And then he goes to St. Louis during the Pujols years and, right, uh, another very, very good team. And, and he wins, um, you know, more World Series or whatever. Yeah. I'm just – yeah. I mean, pre-Oakland, there was in 83, his first job was with the White Sox. He won yeah, also on the White Sox. Year. Right. Yeah, they right. had – those are great teams, some some of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he knows how to pick it, certainly. He knows how to pick them. That's right. Mm-hmm. But I – so the unwritten rules and the the um, the way that they uh, are selectively enforced, I, I think, is a it's a real. Uh, you're totally right. I mean, that's the central story here. And there is a whole there's a generational divide, and there's all these racist undertones. Absolutely, that's true. And there's a there's a class also level to this in that, um, like Tony La Russa is celebrated as a manager. He's in the Hall of Fame. And one of his great innovations as a manager, I hate it, but it is what it is. Tony LaRusso was the person who came in and it's called creeping LaRussoism. Like he was the one who really, who really brought to the forefront the idea of like matching up individual pitchers for one batter at a time. Right. You would bring in a, now though that's against and the closer, you know, yeah. all of that is anti the tradition of the game. Baseball never had that when someone in the managerial class brings in that kind of an attempt at reform, it's celebrated and it becomes the foundation for like why he's a baseball genius. But when one of the employees in the sport does something that's outside of the tradition or the norm, oh, now you're violating this unwritten rule and you should have a projectile thrown at you, possibly in a way that injures you and damages your ability to make a living because that will teach you to not step outside of your lane. You're just an employee you know, shut up and dribble, shut up and swing, whatever. But this old fucking Skeletor is managing your team because his entire legacy is built on, let me change this tradition, but it's okay. I'm white. I'm a manager. It's good. And it's it's one of the things baseball really, even 20-something years into the, this century, they don't ever grasp on they don't ever grasp on it like at all. Unless you people think that you're exact. I mean, Tony, Tony La Russa has been very open he does not like immigrants. He does not like Black Lives Matter in a game that is increasingly dominated, of course, by people from the Dominican Republic, from all over Latin America, right? So it's impossible to get away from these, you know, the subtext there. He's made that very explicit again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm going to end on that because yeah, yeah, I feel spent from our Russa discussion and I have to go to my daughter's soccer practice. I tried to go through her routine with her yesterday and I have somehow pulled a muscle that I was not even sure existed. So this will be a delightful afternoon in the 86 degree, unusually warm Rochester May weather. Listen, um, make sure you're back for Sunday, right? I mean, you got to get the treatment and make sure if when the Knicks oh, start yeah. the playoffs. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to... You're 100%. Make it all my stuff ready. I'm going to be ready to go. Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. That's your Knicks-Hawks schedule. I know you're all waiting for it. 
Thank you for joining us for another week of the Jacobin Sports Show. This was episode 18. Our producer, who always makes us sound humane, is Connor Gillies. Please remember to follow the Jacobin Sports Show on Twitter, at Jacobin Sports, J-A-C-O-B-I-N. And email any thoughts or questions or suggestions to jacobinsports at gmail.com. Next week, we will have Louisa Thomas on from The New Yorker. Keep an eye out on Twitter for that. And also, you can find us on Spotify and Apple and um, scrolled on the bathroom wall somewhere. Thank you, everybody. Please have a nice day. Au revoir.